Thank you for being here, my friends. I am so happy to introduce this next guest. It's Miguel Connor of Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. And before we start, I just want to quickly share with you guys, if you check out my Instagram or my TikTok page, I've got a bunch of short clips. And these clips are something I love to produce. And I basically take a 60-second clip of a podcast and make a little visual representation out of it. It's a lot of fun. If you want me to do this for your podcast, for your business, for whatever it might be, I'd love to help you out. Just contact me. Find those links in the description. But now, back to the episode. Hello, my friends. Really, really excited to introduce to you guys. You probably don't need to be introduced. You probably already know him, but I'm here with uh, my friend Miguel Connor of Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. He's also the host of the show Finding Hermes. And uh, another thing, Miguel, um, did you, uh, you were previously affiliated with something called Coffee, Cigarettes, and Gnosis? Is that what it was called? Oh, Miguel, you mute, muted yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm so good. I'm thinking I'm the guest. I'm the host of something. Force a habit. Yeah, I was a host of uh that was the name of the podcast before I changed it to Aeon Byte. So it was the same topic. It was just periodical. It was uh yeah, but same same topics. Well, welcome and happy new year. It's uh kind of funny. I just for some reason that uh that phrase coffee, cigarettes, and gnosis came up because I was like, I remember you saying that. I just don't remember what that actually was, but I appreciate you coming back on, man. I was really excited that you uh, invited me on to come and speak about Dante's Inferno. And I had a really awesome time chatting about that. And I still laugh to myself occasionally about, um, you know, how Dante was canceled. Like he was like a victim of cancel culture. And, uh, you know, it's something maybe we can circle back on and talk about uh, perhaps with Christ or with Socrates or anyone else in that kind of in that kind of boat. But, uh, you know, ritual first question for first time guest, Miguel. Um, if you think back to any point in your personal journey, when did you start to speak your truth? Oh, I don't think there's really an answer to that. I think it continues. Sometimes I like to think, when did I sell out? Because there was times <laughs> in my, my life where I was like, I got it. I'm on my road. And mm. what derailed me? And then something could derail me in the future. That's the key. What's coming at you around the corner so you'll sell out to a job or an ideology or play it safe? That's what worries me. I think in, in a normal state, uh, I'm definitely a searcher like you are, like your listeners are. And we're just uh, let us play in the grass or let us play in the fields. But then those forces come and they they create illusions and lies around us. So I think that's what worries more is what derailed me and why did I let it happen? Mm. Well said. You just reminded me of this story that Alan Watts likes to relate quite a, quite a bit, um, or he liked to tell in his lectures. It's like, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him because he's not the real Buddha. You know, anyone who uh, claims to have finished their quest for truth is uh, just lying through their teeth. So it's cool. You know, you reminded me of just the idea you know it's we're, we're all seekers here and that's the uh, fun part is that we're gonna wake up tomorrow and we're gonna have a billion other questions that can be answered uh and more and more yeah it's like i say on my show and i don't remember who originally quoted it because it's the internet it's uh run with those searching for the truth and avoid those who have found it yeah so. exactly yep Lao Tzu. those who know don't speak Right on, man. Well, uh, let's start with your main show. But first of all, um, your website, is it uh, thegodabovegod.com? Yeah, that is my internet homepage. And nice. That has all the stuff. Uh, 
podcasts, videos, articles, uh, all the stuff you need if you want to learn about Gnosticism and Hermeticism and myself and all that good stuff. Sure. But obviously, like everybody else, I'm spread out on the internet in different channels, but you'll find all those channels there. Right on, right on for folks listening. I mean, if they've never heard you before, they're probably like, wow, he's got a really nice voice. So there's also information about your audiobook work, your voiceover work there. And I definitely uh, implore people to check out Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. Let's kind of talk about the origins of the show. And, you know, the show wouldn't be complete without your awesome co-host, the Moondog Vance. So you want to, I've always been curious, you know, how did you guys first run into each other? Uh, how did you guys get connected? And um, how did it become so uh, clear to both of you that you wanted to do a show together on Gnosticism and Hermeticism? Well, I'd already been doing the show, but I was just doing it periodically. I, I was uh, maybe twice a month, sometimes once a month. I was just sharing stuff. And if there was a guest or a book that was out and Vance was a listener and he just uh, started emailing me or messaging me about questions about Gnosticism, the show. And we just thought we were talking a lot. And then he volunteered for things like uh engineering the sound and all that and then probably around 2017 or so i asked him well why don't you help co-host it'll make it easier and then eventually the show went full time if you would uh, probably 2018 was when aeon bite finally went full time that's really i feel is like the birth of the podcast i know people are like well you're the og you've been doing it so long yes and no <laughs> you know what i mean i <laughs> There was a t again, there was a time I was just putting it out whenever I felt like, you know, like a blogger. I'll write a blog when I feel like it. But uh, my commitment to Gnosis was really 2018 and Vance was part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So in 2018, when this became more of a consistent thing for you, I mean, did that change the way that you approached uh, your podcast and your research? Because it's kind of funny that you bring up that you bring that up, too, because Right around the end of 2018, going into 2019, um, I started working uh, my first gig as a teacher, really a student teacher. And I remember tuning into Aeon Byte, you know, I would download the episodes on Spotify and drive to school and come back. And I got to learn a ton of stuff that no one in that public school could really relate to as far as I could tell. <laughs> you know, I found a couple people who I could talk to about this stuff. But, um, you know, I was curious, you know, since... 2018 that you've been doing it consistently and i mean you guys have been doing awesome work uh in the roaring 2020s so uh, you know how has that changed for you since you've gone from uh you know kind of like part-time to full-time how has that felt good i mean it was again we we're talking about things that were derailing me 2018 was a rough year a lot of crises were happening a lot of changes were happening and but at least i'd been uh doing spirituality and been in Alcoholics Anonymous enough where they say, you know, if you're in a crisis, give it away. Mm. Uh, if you're, if you're going through a bad time, help somebody else. So I had this like urge to increase the exposure of Gnosticism and my ideas. And uh, I had no, it wasn't, an, it wasn't really anything like, Oh, I'll make more money. That was not even in the, the radar because I wasn't, I had jobs and other things mm. going on, but suddenly I, as I kept putting more in shows out, the viewership just exploded. The subs started coming in. I was like, oh, wow, the people are interested in this stuff. I'll just continue. And the crisis got better and better. And then 2020, yeah, the show really exploded. Mm -hmm. Somehow 
with all the craziness that happened in 2020, people started, you know, waking up, being more curious, looking for alternative ideas, or just realizing that this society that we live is ultimately a construct. It's not real or it's not realistic, if you would. And the show just kept growing. So I think uh, part of Aeon Bite is that it, in Gnosticism, it is, does fit a modern culture. And uh, it's definitely resounded with a lot of people. And here we are in 2023, and things are just going to get weirder as far as uh, the eye can see, the third eye can see. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are, Miguel, third eyes wide open. And, you know, it's funny, uh, I was visualizing this red pill cafeteria, this this phrase that you like to use a lot. And, uh, you know, in 2020, when people were home or, you know, not really doing much, maybe the essential workers uh, out there were into podcasting as well, I would hope so. Um, the line for this red pill cafeteria probably stretched on and on um, as these breadcrumbs were slowly scattered throughout the mainstream narrative. And, you know, something a part of this uh, trail of breadcrumbs is always bringing me back to the hero's journey. And, you know, you had mentioned that you've gone through difficult challenges. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious with the podcast and with um, some of the, the guests that you've spoken to, like, Someone in, in particular that really stood out to me was um, Becca Tarnas. And she she had talked about Tolkien and the imaginal realm and how, you know, this hero's journey played out in Lord of the Rings and The, and the Hobbit. Um, they are uh, so profound and vibrant in our collective consciousness. And I wanted to ask you if you had any takeaways from your uh, conversations with Becca, because those were uh, a couple of my favorite. And I think you guys did a great job. With your uh, questions there, what, what what do you think, Miguel? Yeah, great conversation, and I love her work. And obviously, she leans a lot into Token and Jung. And as you heard from the podcast, Token and Jung had very pa- parallel, similar lives. And it, this goes to the whole idea, yeah, of mythology, the the richness of mythology, uh, how it's the language of the spirit and. Uh, the 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 highway into the great unconscious, into the great unknown. There's so much we could say about mythology, but what's uh, great is that individuals like Jung or Token, who change the world, change the consciousness of humanity, they never said they were making things up or inventing ideas. They were discovering these new realms. Token was discovering the elven realm, and Jung was discovering the unconscious. And both were creating this sort of new language. They, the terms they use, because language limits us so much, often we need to change our language to change our reality. Heidegger is somebody who does it too, but you'll see over and over. I mean, Lewis Carroll is great for creating words because you almost need that language to be able to discover what's on the other side or what's deep within the unconscious of humanity token called it the imagine no that was henry carbon called it the imaginal mm. again token called it the unconscious uh token called it the elven realm so forth but it's this sort of uh again uh, mythic realm that leads to the world of archetypes and the primordial symbols that we all share the very building blocks of not just consciousness, but perhaps the universe itself. So this is a, it's a, these are great lessons and it certainly ties right into what the, the Gnostics were saying 2000 years ago and the hermetics and all it's that sort of, I don't know, magical thinking where we are connect, where we go beyond time and we're all connected 
and we can see everything at once. Yeah, like the movie. The movie's very Gnostic. Uh, and uh, yeah, and what, what it brings is new innovations, new vistas, uh, wholeness to the human soul, and the defragmenting of both culture and us as individuals. So in a nutshell, that's what Becca is doing, and she's done great work, and she's uh, really uh, tapping into these great thinkers, and we need their, I feel, we need their ideas more than ever. Right on. Well said, well said. And, you know, there's something that you brought up in relation to Becca's work, and that's uh, creating a sense of wholeness. And, uh, you know, for some reason, I immediately thought of Lady Galadriel from The Lord of the Rings. And, you know, I think a lot of people are upset. You know, I just I have to mention this because, you know, the uh, Amazon Prime spinoff, you know, is putting uh, a different taste in people's mouths about Lady Galadriel. So let's let's forget that for a second. You know, the classic mythological elven um, heroine figure who's actually the reason why I'm asking you about Galadriel in particular is because she's uh, she she seems to be a perfect uh, figure of Sophia in the way that she in in the giving of gifts to these hobbits, you know, giving Frodo and Sam and, you know, the other fellowship members, these gifts, she's able to restore in them some sense of divinity or some spark that keeps them going. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that or, and, or, uh, you know, other Sophia like figures that kind of represent this divine wisdom that have been really uh, profound in pop culture. Uh, good question. Yeah, I mean, obviously Galadriel, I, I guess I put her closer to the archetype of the queen. Right. right. So she's she's really been uh, well done in that characteristic. I mean, uh, I think uh, with Token, you really don't get Gnostic more in the Silmarillion when he's mm -hmm. talking about the creation of the world. And Melkor is, he's leaving and he brings back Discord because there's a darkness there and Whatever, and that's that's extremely Gnostic. But all these uh, wisdom figures certainly pop up in uh, Token. As far as uh, God, modern culture, there's so many, uh, so many of them. I'm trying to think of one. Uh, I don't know if your listeners or viewers have watched Westworld. Yeah, I have but, that written uh, down here. Yeah, Dolores mm -hmm. definitely plays a very Sophianic figure because. In the Gnostic Gospel, the divine feminine fragments into different figures. She has many avatars, mm -hmm. and one of them is sort of Eve for her mission to rescue the universe from the clutches of the Demiurge. Uh, and sometimes she forgets who she is. That's uh, definitely a uh, a theme you see even in some texts. Jesus forgets who he is. We come down with this mm -hmm. mission, and we may be all-powerful, but in this world, again, Talking about deep, we're going right back to derailing. We forget <laughs> what, why we're here. We forget exactly. what, what we're doing here. It's a, what did Plato said, all learning is remembering. Mm -hmm. So she has to remember her source. She has to remember her pain. She has to put it all together and then find her mission, which is the idea of, no, of gnosis, self-knowledge, understanding our trauma, understanding how we got here, understanding what our role is. And always understanding that we are part of something bigger and wonderful and artistic and whole. It's not just, uh, you know, Jake and Miguel. We are just small parts of something amazing, and we just have to remember that. So for some reason, yeah, Dolores came into my mind. There's that Netflix show, 1899. Yes, awesome show. Uh, so yeah, is Dark, the by the way. Dark, too. Uh, yeah, but I've been slogging through that um, mm -hmm. 
slowly. I wish the pacing was a little bit better. Yeah, it's a little yeah, slow. Yeah. But uh, 1899, again, is very good. The main mm -hmm. character, I forgot her name, is she's definitely very Sophianic. So, Absolutely. yeah, any of these characters who have to remember who they are and their their power and all that, uh, you could definitely call them Sophianic. I mean, mm. uh, yeah, I, I'm not too familiar with Dolores Cannon, but I bring her up because it's always interesting when characters um, have names that are sort of echoing others. Or like another TV okay. show that did this, directly was lost because they had characters like john jonathan Locke or uh you know desmond right. Hume, um you know, other uh rousseau you know these other characters that were directly um alluding to more historical or popular figures like that so does the uh that yeah, does dolores cannon have any particular ideas that stood out to you because i, I think um dolores in westworld it's really cool that she's sort of engineered to forget and she's derailed just for the fact, just for the sake of that journey to rediscover herself. Um, but is there any relation to Dolores Cannon? I just have to ask because I'm kind of curious. Who is Dolores Cannon? Okay. Well, then, you know, it's a bit of a blunder on my part. I, she sounds familiar. I think she's an author. She might be like a channel of some kind, maybe. Um, I'll have to look that up later. That's a kind of a mental note to myself. But, yeah, um, doesn't you... uh, doesn't ring a bell. Oh, and for your audience, this is not beer. I don't drink this. <laughs> it's some, a it's caffeinated just... beverage there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, from some so. small independent place. And, but, <laughs> liquid death, it's liquid called. Death. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, you know, I uh, appreciate that kind of um, uh, comment on sobriety because uh, you know it's interesting to think about spirits and you know the. Uh, the spirits that have infected our uh, culture in a way. And, you know, I think some some people, if they're listening and, you know, they're not too familiar with Gnosticism, um, they might have an aversion because the things that they've heard about Gnostic tropes and things like that are related to this idea of a prison or of a prison planet. And I've even heard this referred to as like pop Gnosticism, which is sort of like a pipeline to nihilism where people believe that, you know, there's no hope on this planet. We are like prisoners of the Archons. And I was hoping you could dispel this myth for us um, because like you say, Miguel, you know, you can live your own gospel and write your own myths. So, you know, how, how do we change people's minds about the value of Gnostic teachings? Well, I think these, these they're not saying anything wrong, but mm -hmm. I think uh, as for <clears throat> in more uh, modern speak, you you take the red pill, then you have to take the black pill, then you have to take the white pill. And this is very Nietzschean Gnostic. What it, you know, you stare into the ab abyss and this darkness stares into you, but also they or fight not ye monsters, lest ye become a monster. Mm. But that's part of the prospect because that's the pruning. That's the complete destruction of your ego and all the programming. And Nietzsche even said, then you grab the rainbow bridge where you create your own aesthetic and you see so much wonder. The Gnostics were definitely toying with existentialism and nihilism, but that was part of the process. It's almost like you have to die to your old self, be born to your new self, and that's not even uh, original in most religions. They tell you that all the time. The programming has to go, the old you has to die, and the new alchemical process from Negretto to Rubetto or you know the pro in alchemy you find it too has to go on there is no other choice in other words you're looking for complete transformation in aa terms 
what do they always say? You can't get better until you admit you have mm-hmm. a problem. Number one. We are. We all have a problem. We're addicted to the material world in some way or another, whether it's our, it could be good things, our phones, our jobs, our families. And that's fine. If, the, if you want to linger in this, linger. But if you want the deep answers to the universe and a deep uh, connection with yourself and an experience that goes beyond belief and a rapture and an ecstasy, well, then, yes, you have to admit that you are in a prison that you have a problem, that you are a fraud for all practical purposes, you are a construct, everything's a construct, and then you go to the process. doesn't mean you end up in a cave somewhere or something like that. It just means yeah. your soul is is transformed, you know, as they say, the old saying, you know, what, before I was enlightened, I, got, I chopped wood and gathered water. water. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Something within you is permanently changed. And you are no longer of the world, even though you are still in the world. So, yes, I, I have no problem with archons. We're trapped and all that, and there's no way out. Yeah, play with that. Let it destroy you. Let meet the fear and understand that the only thing behind that fear is just a trauma mm. of somebody telling you you had to forget and you're not as good as you were supposed to be. And they're trying to just make you conform to the herd. So it's, Yes. You know, I couldn't agree more. It's like, yeah, the prison is very, very real. I think people approach it without going through the full hero's journey process. You know, they stop at the black pill and then they never progress from there. And, you know, I'm thinking back. to Well, think of, uh, yeah, Empire Strikes Back. Yes. When Luke goes in that cave and he sees the mask of Darth Vader and it breaks him, the horror he went through was existential. I mean, you could see his psyche cracking. But he had to go through that had complete to. despair so he could become a Jedi and save his father. That's an so. excellent point. Yeah, that that is really cool. And, you know, OK, so you brought up AA as well. And, you know, there's always something fascinating about numerology. It's something that I've wanted to study more and more. And I've been trying to look at the Enneagram as well, because uh, there's a lot of different ways that numbers can be um, fashioned, especially like if you study tarot and astrology and connect those and correspond those together. So, you know, obviously there's 12 steps. Um, I uh, spoke to someone yesterday about the 12 nights of the round table. Hercules has 12 labors. Um, There's 12 different names for the sun in in Hindu. Um, All all these 12s, obviously the 12 apostles, or uh, sorry, the the, um, 12 zodiac signs, uh, same thing, I guess. But, you know, we basically want to figure out like is there something in particular that stands out to you about this number 12 does it um connote a certain type of symbolism um like for the uh knights of the round table you know it's always like a circular kind of structure um do you see the 12 steps in that kind of way as well yeah i mean it's it's a primordial number most of our numbers we get or their importance from ancient egyptian jews babylonians i mean 360 the babylonians were into Mm. 60 the egyptians were into decans or tens but they added extra two to rest and these things are yeah they're part not just of ancient people but you could say they're close to the again that archetypal image of primordial numbers and symbols Mm. that are the the building blocks of uh, consciousness and again maybe maybe even reality so um uh, the thing, I mean, Bill W. was just, he was uh, a product of the esoteric movement of the early 20th century. He was into William James and 
into Eastern traditions and all that. So, of course, it would just make sense that he would pick the number 12. He could have gone 11, 11 or whatever. He could have gone eight. <laughs> but, you know, it was going to be 12. And, um, yeah, so uh, these things are just out in the air. Yeah. Well, ether. Um, the ether. in the in the ether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as as within, so without, we could say. Right. So. Uh, you know, that's I think that's a good segue now because you know you've got your main show, you advance to Ambite, and then there's Finding Hermes, which has sort of a different spin. Um, so Finding Hermes, I mean, Hermes and Mercury are very much aligned, and uh, I like the idea of thinking about Hermes as um, the squirrel from the Yigris, the world tree in Norse mythology, the squirrel that runs up and down. Like if you have if you ever read uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, he has this. Wonderful scene, you know, Shadow is the, the, the main character. He's basically going through the crucifixion process like uh, Odin did. He's hanging on this, this world tree. And this squirrel, I think uh, it starts with an R, Radatok or something like that. It's the messenger of the gods from Asgard to Midgard. And he's bringing down messages. He's like calling him on his bullshit. And it's pretty funny. Uh, and that's kind of how I see Mercury and Hermes in a way. But you know this this uh, other show that you got finding Hermes. Um, would you like to give us an an, an introduction and maybe talk about um, some of the inspirations that uh, led you to create this separate show um, from Ambite? Sure. I mean, uh, two part. One was I wanted to tweak the show or my podcast to help people with uh, uh, well, give them alternative solutions to mental disease, alcoholism, and all that, because in early 2020, things were just, well, people were losing their minds, and uh, people were insecure, and there's a lot of damage from lockdowns and other things. So I wanted, it was my way of helping, if you would. Again, if things get bad, find a way to help somebody else, because your ego dissipates. The other thing, too, is uh, through listening to some youngians and other, I realized, oh, my God, Hermes is the probably the most important god we have in our modern time all the other gods are pretty much irrelevant compared to him mm. because this is the age of the trickster from uh from trump to the virus to crypto to elon musk to war it seems there is this trickster mentality or force that is soaking the world and hermes is the only hope to really get us to the other side because we have no choice he's the god of transitions he's the god of doorways He's the god of innovation to new vistas and new solutions. And he's the god, of course, of tricks, because I think we have to realize that our mind is plays tricks and this universe is playing tricks. It's the way we navigate it. I mean, he is the most powerful force. So I wanted to do something to honor and to get people to understand that this is the only way we're getting out of this is if we embrace those hermetic principles you know, that also Hermes encompasses mysticism, magic, uh, divinity, everything, astrology, that kind of wild, crazy thing that he did in ancient times. And even uh, this is the year of the rabbit. And there is the trickster appears in every culture. And there is a story of the rabbit that's just like Prometheus with Native Americans, where the animals vote him to go get fire. And he goes to some camp with some humans and he steals the fire to help all the other animals, too. So in these Native American stories, the, the he's always called the changer, whether mm -hmm. he's the coyote, the rabbit, the beaver. 
And he always comes to you and he tells you things are going to change. Now, the problem is we humans as herd animals, we don't want change. People still want it to be 2019. Oh, they won't let never go. going back. <laughs> no, but you, you know, 99% of people in this world still want it to be 2000. And right. it wasn't that great. And it was false and it was corrupt, <laughs> but they still want it. But the trickster comes and says, Things are going to change and he'll either change them for you or he'll make you realize that your reality was never that good and you are going to change for a better reality. So this force exists and I think it's so important for us to embrace the trickster, embrace Hermes for all he can do. We've gone, Hermes is the god of the mind, but we've leaned so much on reason and science scientism and reason is great but there is so much more that we are intuition uh, uh wisdom mysticism uh the invisible the imaginal that we're talking mm -hmm. about those pl a place of abstract and metaphysics that really changes human beings i mean we're kind of stuck as a species i mean most people don't understand that those great scientists we had in the middle and early 20th century from Einstein to Eisenberg, Eisenberg to all the, they were complete mystics. They were into the tarot. They were into the I Ching. They were into Indian mysticism. They had a hermetic mind and they were able to do things like split the atom and create these amazing inventions. Today, mm -hmm. everybody's sort of stuck and confused like, how do we defeat the virus? Oh, which <laughs> way should we go? Uh, what's the best type of, you know? Yeah. Our leaders are just so, they're lost. If you notice, they're completely mm -hmm. baffled and lost because they don't have Hermes. They don't have that gnosis and they need to embrace the tricks. Or again, these scientists of the 20th century were, they were jokers, they were thieves, they were wild people. And uh, we've lost that. We've lost that hermetic thinking. And this is the age where Hermes is either going to take us to one side or he's going to drive the entire Western culture batshit crazy because that's what he does. The changer. If you don't accept his changes, he's gonna f you up. Simple as that. I wish. I wish <laughs> I had better news. That's the black pill. But thank oh God yeah, well the white pill is great. Just like we were saying, this is Luke Skywalker's like most yeah. important part of his entire journey. You know, we got to go through it. And Miguel, I mean, in a corrupt world that's uh, you know brought to you by Pfizer and all of this and everything of of that sort, like what are the most practical ways that people can embrace this god of transformation like if you were to counsel someone who was so caught up in uh this cultural craziness or maybe even their own spiritual craziness and i guess those are one of the same in the micro and macro what are uh, a couple things you would recommend to them excuse me uh well honestly the answer is always the same and the answers never change it's goes right back to the temple of delphi know yourself so simple because a i would tell them you're a fraud society's a fraud that's the black pill you're a lie everything you've known is a lie but guess what there's something truly deep and amazing and artistic and inventive within you within each one of us but the answer is we have to know ourselves mm -hmm. because uh who we are jake miguel it's just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath, there's a vast ocean of the unconscious, of uh, all these archetypes we've talked about. And Hermes himself, they're all there. There's also our trauma, our shadow, which wants a seat at the table. That's uh, You brought up King Arthur. That's been my metaphor. Simple is like all who we, we are, our trauma, our pain, everything, our shadow, 
wants a seat at King Arthur's table, not to destroy us, again, Luke, but to teach us, to be heard, to understand, so that we can become full and whole. And when we do that, each one of us is unstoppable. We find our true purpose, our true call. The world no longer affects us because we know who we are and what our destiny is. It could be small, could be big. Not all of us will be presidents or movie stars. Some of us will find joy in taking care of animals or working at a soup kitchen or maybe being a teacher, an engineer, whatever. But it's unique for each one of us. And we are free and we are individuated. So that's my thing is the answer is always know yourself, go deep within, go deep into that adventure, that cape. The frustrating thing is because uh, is when I talk about Gnosticism is that there's no listicle, there's no formula right. because the Gnostics were anarchists and they said, well, everybody's different. You can't give you a list of if you do this and this, you'll do this and this. <clears throat> you have to find out what works for you. I mean, I, I like, I have my um, my practices: dream works, theogens, uh, meditation, uh, I Ching. But Jake might, you might need something else. You might need right, ceremonial right. magic or biking no or one size fits all. Right, and that's yeah. where people freak out. They look at you like because again. We are herd animals. We want yeah. to do this and this and you'll be fed. It's like, no, you got to go in and you got to find out what works for you and what works for you might not work tomorrow. You got to, yeah. again, think of Hermes, the trickster. You're one step ahead of the archons. Yep. You're one step ahead of the trickster god. So that's what I would say. No matter what time we are, just know yourself. Mm, know yourself. Know yourself. That's, that's never changed. Jesus right. says it. It's, it's the answer to uh, life, to everything. That's the answer. That's true today. It was true yesterday. It'll be true if people listen to this a hundred years from now. It'll, it'll be the same. But, yeah, but that's the one thing we spend our lives doing is not knowing ourselves. Mm. Oh, I'll watch TV. I'll, I'll act like this guy. Well, let me ask you about that because uh, I had a a question from um, a friend who uh, you know it's about young and it's about um, Alan Dulles and the CIA. And you know I really respect Carl and. I think Young's ideas, especially because they were disseminated through Jordan Peterson. That's how I first found out about Young. Um, yeah. They were presented in a very practical way. And, you know, say what you want about Dr. Peterson. I think he should delete Twitter. That's just me. But if he keeps writing books and just does his lectures, you know, he's a he's a great individual. And get, yeah. get back more to Young instead of bitching about things. Yeah. On the yeah, internet. yeah. Right. Right. So talk um, about you. <laughs> yeah. So with uh, Jung, you know, I'm sure you've heard of this connection to Alan Dulles and the CIA. And I know that the Nag Hammadi texts were discovered the same year that the CIA was was formed. And um, the question from my friend, you know, is kind of interesting because this is relating to, well, here's the problem. This is the black pill. But like, where did this start? And it seems like perhaps it's possible. I'm speculating. I'm you know, I'm curious if you have done um, any uh, looking into this, um, that the collective consciousness work that Carl has put forth, that Jung has popularized, could have been weaponized in some particular way. And maybe this was disseminated oh, no doubt. television, right? No doubt. What do you think about oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. Well, first, yeah, the Nag Hammadi was discovered in 1945. So the CIA came after that mm, okay. when the, 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 new, the bombs were dropped. Um, but yeah, Alan Dulles, his mistress was um, 
was a patient of Jung and he oh. started eavesdropping and he, I think he had a conversation, but yeah, he definitely weaponized. You could almost say MK ultra was uh thanks. Thanks Papa Jung for, uh, <laughs> you gave these powers, but unfortunately that's the way the world works mm. is a, anything that can be weaponized will be weaponized. Everything casts a shadow. Jung casts a shadow. Gnosticism casts a shadow. Tesla. Yeah, everything casts a shadow, and these things can be used by the powers and principalities and the rulers of this age to to manipulate for for uh, dark things. I mean, Edward Bernays was what he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, mm -hmm. and Sigmund Freud and Jung's ideas of the unconscious and symbol that that's what drives us. It's not our ego; it's these unconscious powers that was weaponized too, and that's been used against us. So there's no doubt. Uh, about that but uh, again that's where self-knowledge comes because we are being manipulated we have these things with uh, within us and when we understand that they've twisted Jung's ideas against us for decades for all these horrible social engineering programs we can use that against them or inoculate ourselves vaccinate ourselves <laughs> so it no longer works and use the light side of Jung or to discover what's within us. So, um, yeah, like did I answer that. your question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's good because, again, we're thinking about, like, some of the sources of these uh, spiritual troubles could be coming from the, the programming, the constant barrage yeah. from the algorithm. I'll, I'll even go further and say that, and this has been done by uh, scholars, that mm -hmm. even Nazism and communism is a form of weaponized Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll even grant them that because, the power of the Gnostics and the Hermetics was pretty big. And if you could use that for the wrong reasons, you know, warped, change a few things, mm. you can get cute control of most of humanity. So, yeah, but yeah. that's everything casts a shadow. You had a big shadow. You and I have big shadows. Right. We know we're, we are capable of terrible things to other human beings and to ourselves. It's, it's just the nature of the universe. It's neither good or bad. It's just, it's just the way we are. Yeah. That's our, yeah. um, well, you know, there's a really interesting article on your website. One more time. That's the God above God.com. There's the, the in the front of it, right? The God above God. Correct. Um, on the blog, you talked about mannequin. Uh, how do you say that? Mannequin, uh, uh, mannequinism. Um, yeah. Okay. Correct. Forgive me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It was interesting. I kind of want to read the uh, first blurb and then maybe you can talk about, um, you know what prompted you to to write this because this was uh i think so, that's a guest writer Does oh it it's a guest writer yeah it says uh manichaeans the religion of the call um yeah interesting By, too uh, yeah, alexander and he's a yeah he's a great he wrote a great book he was belly of the beast he was a mm. uh he is a russian jew that was persecuted he left soviet russia and moved to israel and now and he's very much into Gnosticism. So he writes these great books and articles on the Gnosticism. He thinks they've got the solution to counter the corruption. And he talks about the corruption in Israel and the corruption in Russia and all that. So yeah. He's been in the belly of the beast, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I bring it up because it kind of relates to, you know, this this concept that we've been kind of discussing. It's uh, he, he says in the intro blurb, Today, the concept of Manichaeanism is perhaps the most frequently used in political and cultural debate. It means extreme dualism, mm -hmm. radical division, and polarization in which the forces of light are engaged in a death struggle with the forces of darkness. And it seems to be like the uh, ongoing, ever-present 
conflict. And we see this in uh, shows like Westworld, where there's the black hats and the white hats. And I was wondering if you wanted to comment um, on some of the cults, because well, like some of them are maybe not uh, cults exactly, but they're grouped together in cults. I think the, the most obvious one to start with is Scientology um and the the history of this phenomena especially in los angeles of all places um, yeah, so very very gnostic religion yeah. I, I mean in fact uh l ron hubbard it was on purpose he used to you can find memos and uh uh letters where he said we are a gnostic religion refer to this as gnosis obviously the mythology of of scientology you know we fall into these we are alien state at what Zeno and the evil Zeno threw us into this planet and we're really aliens that need to wake up. So yeah, weaponized Gnosticism right there. <laughs> Heaven's gate. Yeah. Gnostic too. Gnostic too. Yeah. We are trapped in these bodies and we need to leave these bodies because the Gnostics were into uh, ecstatic astral mm -hmm. projection kind of rituals. They believed they could travel the stars and go beyond. Uh, so, yeah, of course, the problem that a lot of these make, make a huge mistake, again, they use all of it, is that to the Gnostics, the Hermeticists, our advantage is that we are both human and divine. Mm -hmm. We have something that gods don't have. We have something animals don't have. So our goal is not to escape this universe or control it. It's to become fully human and fully divine. And that's the problem they always miss. You, you can't. You can't just leave the universe. You got to be fully human and then help others. The, the texts exactly. of the ancient Gnostics are all about healing people, creating potions and scrolls and helping people heal physically and mentally too. You are to be uh, Jesus or mm. as I call them, Christian bodhisattvas. Mm. And you are to help humanity. That's really it. Again, know yourself and all yes. that. But everything else, there's no utopia gnostic text there's no better society it starts and ends with your role as a person helping others and talks about helping animals helping nature helping everybody so a lot of this has been warped to or just or just misunderstood just misunderstood which yeah. is fine I mean, that's oh, life that's the uh fun part too is that once things get warped once things are inverted it's the uh discovery it's just like we were saying with uh dolores you know she gets to rediscover herself um she completely forgets who she is it's also like that last season of lost you know people uh, forget that they were on this island and they forget that they had those experiences they connected with these people and then they're all reunited once again and uh, the last cult on this list, and I, I got this from your website. I, I thought yeah, it was that's my that's my article because yeah. I'm like I lay it all on the table. I have yeah, nothing. I um I got kind of a good laugh out of this because you know I never considered this to be um, grouped as a cult, and you said Gnostic cults for better or for worse. One of them was a course in miracles, and <laughs> it gave me a little bit of a chuckle because I kind of saw that as like an innocent um uh, body of uh, wisdom but i never really dove into it myself um in detail probably just watch a, a couple youtube summaries about it but well marianne marianne williamson we have a big gnostic who's ran for president and all that but yeah it's uh in a course of miracles and my aunt she's been studying the course of miracles for like 40 years and mm. i went to portugal last summer and she's like how can you compare gnosticism to course in miracles and i showed her the evidence and she's like Oh shit, you are right because 
it does start gnosticism has a, a simple explanation it's a story of how god went crazy and became us mm. again like dolores something mm. happened and god lost his mind and he thought he was human and he started worshiping the wrong things uh the god of the bible money all that and of course the miracles has the same cosmology where god has it talks about god had one crazy thought mm. he had like that glitch that little and suddenly he became human and he became us. And Jesus is his way of sort of teaching God how to get back to the source. But of course, in miracles and Gnosticism, it's all pretty much a simulation or what they say. The only real thing is God's love. Everything else is maybe it's real, but it's really irrelevant at the end of the day because God's love is all that matters. Mm. Uh, and through a, through a sort of intellectual contemplative meditative process of knowing ourselves we can join the source so and that's just a few examples but course in miracles and gnosticism are very parallel obviously a course in miracles doesn't take the stance that there are archons out there gnosticism is very different than most perennial religions and most uh, new age religion or even alternative religions that have kind of I think made the mistake of saying there's no evil. The Gnostics were like, look, they're coming at us. Agent Smith and, you know, the strangers from Dark City, the mm -hmm. demons, they are out there and they are coming for us. And uh, I think that's a mistake, which makes no sense, because as my friend Gordon White has said, 99% of cultures in this planet believe in evil spirits mm. somehow we westerners in modern times oh there's no evil it's just you know that that that's but our science can deny the <laughs> all that yeah. religion yeah no there are things that go bump in the night they want to fuck you up big time <laughs> yes no sir. doubt about that it that is true uh un unfortunately i've experienced that myself but i feel like uh you know mm -hmm. as you um go deeper down that rabbit hole you kind of realize that you know you're um your ability to recognize when you're running into Agent Smith or into something more benevolent. Uh, I think that's yeah. the whole yeah. um, journey, um, whether it's, uh, you know, through Christ consciousness or Krishna consciousness or the uh, the film of ayahuasca through your uh, third eye. You know, it's pretty interesting that um, you're always going to encounter uh, the darkness or the light. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, um, this is kind of for fun. I've never done this before. I'm hoping uh, this will be a cool experiment that I can try. So, uh, you know, this is the first time I've ever asked someone to do this on a podcast, and I think it'll be fun. I gathered a list of um, Gnostic films and TV shows. Some of them came from your website, which uh, we've already spoken on West West World. Um, I think we touched on the Matrix vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, the red pill, et cetera. But I'm going to read a title. I was wondering if you could, in a few words, maybe point out, summarize, um, clarify, or, you know, uh, declare some of the themes that relate to Gnosticism, um, or even just, you know, words that come up. Think of this as like free association, thinking of Jung, you know, and his contributions here. So let's start with a classic, Wizard of Oz. Yes, yes. We'd have to say is Gnostic. I mean, there is an argument to make that the the fall of Sophia Gnosticism, this part of God that falls into the world, is uh, Plato's soul high adventure, that the soul has no choice but to rebel or fall into the world because that's just part of the lesson, whether the material world is a gym, a school, or a prison, your mileage may vary. I don't know. But uh, 
So things like The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland Mm. certainly show us that Gnostic because both figures fall into this very strange world with these dark forces trying to harm them. And they have to go and sort of learn about themselves and uh, complete the mission to go rejoin to the real world. So, yeah. Nice. And since you brought up Plato, you know, I was going to ask you this originally um, earlier. I forgot to circle back to this, but, you know, I remember being uh, I think I was like 22, 23 years old when I first read Plato's Cave in like a college philosophy class. And that was my first experience uh, consciously with Gnosticism, knowing that there was this sort of uh, proverbial prison. Someone breaks out and sees the other side and then comes back. And uh, they're totally rejected. They're like, no, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I always tell people, yeah, that's the first version of the Matrix. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Unplug yourself. So now we've got Fight Club. What a classic. Awesome book, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, I have an article on that. I think it's mm. very Gnostic because, it, again, it does deal with the simulation, how fake the world is. And, this character is fragmented and has to rejoin his lower self and higher self, his daemon, and go through all these challenges. Uh, Marla plays the Sophia or Eve character mm. because she's the one that sparks this awakening. He's sort of lost and he's he lives in the material world and then he goes to the psychic world because the Gnostics always divided the human into spiritual mental and material mm. edward norton norton jr he's first like you know trying to buy stuff and for his house and he'll be complete and he's material marla then then he goes into all these meetings where he's pretending he's dying but he finds this mental uh help and he finds this wholeness in his mind and then marla is a sophia character or trickster character because in the gnostic gospels jesus and sophia are definitely tricksters and sparks all this disturbance and oh my god the black bill and then eventually he meets his higher self which is tyler durden and it's their journey of integration into wholeness and at the end the material world sort of collapses around sophia they play he plays sort of the the christ sophia figure the male female right uh, right wisdom and logos if you would wisdom and, and logos you know uh, in that last scene, you know, it's very reminiscent of the uh, Twin Towers. And I know you did a great interview um, about 9-11. And I'm curious, you know, if there was, if you, like, the directors of Fight of Fight Club or the author, Chuck Palahniuk, um, I don't know if this was intentional. If this was, I mean, I think it clearly was. Like, it, you know, that, that imagery is unforgettable. Um, and yet it seems like the whole story, like, on the surface of Fight Club, had nothing to do with world trade and with material. Well, it did have to do with material goods. You know, the things that you own end up owning you. Why do you think they ended with such a provocative scene of those towers collapsing like that? Well, that's, yeah, that's always going to be the mystery. That's where we get into the uh, realm of synchromysticism, Mm -hmm. where our collective unconscious or the spirit world or whatever is giving us clues before they happen, like the Mothman warning you before there's a tragedy. It's right. uh, again, Mothman is a trickster, or unconscious is a trickster. Because, I mean, in the Matrix, you've got Neo. That famous scene in the movie was 1999, where he whips out his passport, and the expiration date is 9/11, 2001. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much uh, 
of these hints that were coming. There was that Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, right. which came out where he's weighing a chair and it's exactly nine pounds and 11 ounces. You see that over and the over. Big Lebowski happening. does it too, I think. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there's so much. So you have to put it in the realm of synchromysticism mm. where the universe or whatever you want to call it is warning us or showing us a, a future and we have to sort of hopefully figure it out that's well that's yeah. the job of the yeah. shaman the artist uh the conspiracy theorist <laughs> or as i like as I, I followed what jimmy Dore calls it is you can't call them conspiracy theories you gotta call them spoiler alerts spoiler alerts just give them a few months and <laughs> you'll see yeah, yeah it's coming right down if yeah we'd known in 1999 if we'd been more awake we would have figured out that 9-11 was coming yeah Awesome. Awesome. Well, there's a couple I didn't get to. And, you know, I just want to read them for, for people who are into Gnosticism and, uh, you know, want to access um, uh, a couple pop culture references that are definitely vetted and very highly regarded. That would be Twin Peaks, True Detective. And the last one, one of my favorites, Altered Carbon. They're all excellent. Yeah. yeah. First season of Altered Carbon could mm -hmm. come out from a Philip K. Dick novel. And exactly. Philip K. Dick was very influenced by Gnosticism, both in his experiences and his mental his interest as a person so uh yeah watch that understanding about fragmented consciousness false realities uh true detective is a great manichaean tale because it is about these powers of light and darkness and how this figure again he's obviously rust comes from the pessimist existential school of philosophy very dark, everything so you know, the whole world is a gutter into outer space mm -hmm. and all that. But he has his moments of gnosis and Satori, and at the end he does that famous the light is starting to win. He's nice. awakened, he sees. So so much Gnosticism in that one. And of course, Twin Peaks, that just especially when you watch um the third season, the well, return. I, I have a quick question, Miguel. So I brought I uh brought this one up, uh Twin Peaks. This is the one that I've actually never seen. So instead of, uh, could you uh, give me like maybe your uh, trailer for it? Like if you were going to convince someone to watch Twin Peaks, uh, what, would oh, you, would. what would be your endorsement? <laughs> I don't. It's like when no. people, I always tell people, don't even go down the path. Of don't even do it. <laughs> Just go away. Go away. Which is it? Go outside. Zen <laughs> Buddhism, Zen Buddhism or Buddhism in general is like, Gnosticism and Buddhism are like the same religion in many ways. They're brothers, sisters. They're like these parasitical, uh, rebellious religions that tell you everything's wrong. But uh, and of course, in Buddhism, there's that you know thing where you go to the temple and then they tell you, "We can't teach you shit. Get out of here." You see that in Fight Club where they make them stand in the rain and all that. So I always tell people, just don't go there. The awakening is. The best thing that'll happen, but most people aren't ready for it. Just that enjoy your good. iPhone. Enjoy your iPhone. And enjoy video. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, there's a lot out there that we could consume. And uh, sometimes the best thing is to just go outside and get some sunshine. Uh, I think that's ancient, ancient wisdom that is uh, forgotten very easily because of all these screens and these distractions. Uh, but um, going in a different direction as we wrap up, it's been about an hour. And, uh, this has been fun, but I still have a question from a friend, uh, maybe a couple, but you know, this, this one really stuck out and he was curious about the Cathars and about how 
there was a, a theory put forth that, you know, the, the Cathars, their prophecy, their teachings were false. Um, I will admit, I don't fully understand the uh, full context. I didn't really dive into the Cathars too closely. I've heard them in mention in passing, um, but for the sake of, uh, you know, the questions and the request, uh, you know, I got to ask you, Miguel, is there anything you want to say about the Cathars and their relationship to uh, Gnosticism and how some have called their their ideas false? Well, yeah, I mean, the church, the, the, the church has always called anything Gnostic false. Heresy. That's, that goes without, yeah, heresy, that goes without saying. But the Cathars uh, were a medieval sect in probably 12th, 13th century that was brutally suppressed in southern France. Uh, Dan Brown talks a lot about a lot about them in the Da Vinci Code. Uh, and they held this view that uh, it was Gnostic, that this world was not ruled by the Demiurge or the Archons, but it was ruled by Satan. By then, Satan takes the place of the Bond villain instead of the Demiurge. And uh, that we needed to, again, find this sort of special self-knowledge to wake up to this reality that uh, was false and we could escape this universe while helping others escape this universe too. They were very much into Mary Magdalene, which is always big Gnostic. The Knights Templar built all their castles to honor Mary Magdalene. That's always a hint that it's Gnostic because the Gnostics saw Mary Magdalene as one of their leaders, uh, uh, a Sophianic figure, a bringer of Gnosis. So the Cathars lived in that time and most people don't realize that they lived in Southern France and there was this war that the church and other nobles to uh, exterminate them in southern France. It was successful. Most people don't know that the Inquisition actually started with the Cathars. Mm. It was created to suppress the Cathars. And then it moved on to Jews, witches, all, you know, the, the, uh, whatever boogeyman you could find. Yeah. The problem that you have with uh, certain scholars is that they say that the Cathars never existed, that they were actually just sort of rebellious Catholics who had their own ideas like reincarnation and all this other stuff. And that's been an idea that scholars have put out. I don't think it's, I don't agree with it. It's more of an American scholar thing. European scholars pretty much see this, the Cathars as their own group. Uh, definitely somehow influenced by the Manichaeans or other Gnostic groups that just ended up in southern France. Uh, and I understand some of the arguments because we have to remember one of the lies we've been told is that the Catholic Church had some iron-fisted control over Europe. But even in the 12th century, the Catholic Church was more of a, a group of franchises and it didn't have that much power. Uh, like most people say in the 12th century, the time of the Cathars, you went to church maybe once a month, uh, you could still worship pagan gods. It was it was a very different church, but then it decided around then that it wanted to consolidate, consolidate, consolidate power and become more centralized, and the Cathars were one, victims, because they had such control, they were so anarchist, there was a lot of money and resources in southern France, so they had to be wiped off the, the slate but uh, when you look at their and it's hard because a lot of what the Cathars believed and said is through uh, Catholic priests and scholars saying that we don't have any existing writings of the Cathars or we do have but again it's given to us by the church but if you look at those writings or rituals their cosmology it's extremely Gnostic and certainly 
an antithesis of whatever the church was trying to teach then. Like the again, reincarnation. They rejected the Old Testament. They believed this world was run by Satan. They were strictly vegetarians. Uh, the, how the world was created is very similar to what the Gnostics were writing 2,000 years ago, over and over again. So I would be on the camp that the Cathars were truly their own group. Mm -hmm. And yes, they were rejected by the church. <laughs> I can see why uh, people would think that they didn't exist because history is written by the victors. And, you know, if the Inquisition happened the way that we we're taught that it actually happened, then, you know, they would have been kind of scrubbed uh, from that 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 story. You know, the uh, the winners of this of this battle, this uh, war to eradicate, to exterminate all the her heretics, you know, they probably would have written a different story. Um, and it's uh, pretty interesting. I mean, I uh, it's definitely a bit provocative to hear, um, you know, that the devil runs the earth and that, you know, that's uh, things are not um, just love and and light like the new agers say. And, you know, my friend Chance from Interverse Podcast says it's the new cage. I think that's a really well way to put it because it's uh, it's an incomplete view and we have to, you know, we have to accept the complete picture, the uh, full yin and and yang structure of this existence. And, uh, you know, I, I think you do a great job laying that out um, in your telling of these uh, stories on your on your podcast and when you interview guests you know you're, you're able to tap into something syncretic like we're not just focusing us we're not just focusing on like christian mythology you know there's uh buddhist teachings there's um you've mentioned rumi a few times uh and i think you've alluded to this uh this quote that you know we are the entire ocean in one single drop and i really like that and i i think you know between what you're doing on aeon bite and finding hermes i think you're offering a lot of hope for people in um, a world that is a bit lost, I would say, but in the same way, you know, just like Dolores, we're uh, lost only to find two, we're only lost to be found again. And I wanted to ask you about um, Aeon Bite, about Finding Hermes, and about your uh, books as well, you know, your own, your own work. I think you had recently, I don't know if recent is a relative term. You put out a book on meditation, right? It was like a daily meditation practice. Um, any other yeah, words you want to share? And, you know, tell us about this meditation book. That, that sounds very interesting. It was just a small book. Uh, again, it was during 2020, 2021. It was okay. called uh, 10 Snackable Meditations because mm -hmm. uh, I learned from AA and other places. Sometimes you need some quick tools. I mean, you know, you're at work, you're with family on Thanksgiving, <laughs> you can't just, I'm going to go meditate for an hour or walk, or I'm going to walk nature or, right. or do some ayahuasca on the spot or whatever <laughs> you do. So sometimes you need these little mantras or mental tricks or things that work. And these things have worked throughout time. So there's tricks from Tibetan Buddhism, from St. Augustine, from new agers from all these disciplines and you can find maybe something that you can use to help you out when you just like oh until i can get home and you know unwind with some nice mental practice this will get you through the day so that again it was part of my kind of finding hermes vibe how can i help others in these time when everybody's struggling mentally and uh, spiritually and all that so and i have some fiction books that i've written in the couple books called the voices of gnosticism yes. books which are transcripts 
of some of my past guests, like the translators of the Nag Hammadi Library, Bart mm-hmm. Herman, Elaine Bagels, uh, the experts on Philip K. Dick and Carl Jung and William Blake, sort of giving them their take. So you can find those books on the site. Right on, right on. And uh, quick question before we wrap it up. Uh, you know, we had talked about Dante's Inferno uh, last year in, in April, and um, we had thought about the fact that Dante was a victim of cancel culture. And, you know, we can think of Socrates in the same way. We can think of Christ. I was wondering if there were any other characters, um, archetypes, or, well, not archetypes, but, you know, characters in the public forum whether they be modern or ancient, um, who else do you think has been canceled that maybe um, we should pay attention to? The reason why I'm, I'm asking this, Miguel, is because I'm kind of inspired to put this all together and maybe you can help me. Maybe we can work on this together. Um, it's almost like a, a brief, a quote unquote, brief history of cancel culture, starting with Christ and Socrates all the way to, um, I don't know, someone in the in the modern day that's speaking truth, uh, like the Project Veritas guy, something like that, you know. Uh, oh, man. This, uh, yeah, there's so many. I think the way to go, and uh, I've talked to this with Robert Price and mm-hmm. Charles Eisenstein, is look at the archetype of the sacred scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to carry the sins of the society. Klaus Schwab. Somebody, yeah, well, somebody, we, drop, we put our shadow onto people. Right. And then we send them out, and if we kill them or or marginalize them, somehow we feel better. So following that archetype is very important. But you see that so much in history. I mean, also true, the trickster always exists in the liminal places. He's always just outside of society. He's on his own. He's doing his thing, and that either makes people jealous or they want to destroy him. So you can see that with, like, Loki. Loki's Mm. always... Sometimes it's not fair. Sometimes he just gets, I think when he gets hung on the cave or whatever, I think the Sandman did that. He really didn't do anything wrong. Oh, that's a good show too. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did something. He didn't do something wrong. And you see that. So yeah, think of the trickster. How about Dionysus? Dionysus. I just see that. On top of my head, I mean, we can think of Mohammed. Oh, yes. Mohammed was just talking, telling people about what the angel Gabriel told him, and he suddenly he's running for his life. <laughs> yeah, uh, how dare he? <laughs> yeah, Moses, not so much because Moses got also, yeah, he killed an Egyptian and ran away. Hmm. But he also was, uh, you could say that too. He's very Dionysian when you look at the whole thing too. Well, what else has been canceled? We usually with founders of religions. So. Hmm. L. Ron Hubbard would like to take him because he ran off on his boat right, to, right. because he was afraid of Jack Parsons. And oh, my God, he had to start his religion. So, that yeah, that's been going on. With those forces, you really will find, uh, again, the sacred scapegoat, this person everybody wants to make the villain. I mean, people want to make Jordan Peterson the villain, too. Yeah, I was going to say. Half <laughs> of what he says is not that big of a deal. Right, yeah, yeah. Twitter is just really good for shadow projection. Just got to like, go clean your room, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Twitter will make... Uh, it's always angry at a yeah. certain amount. I mean, even like Susan Sarandon or something. Oh, they, they, yeah. You know, uh, they, they make... It's, it's shadow projection. We want to mm. put our sins on somebody and... It, if that person goes away, it'll be better. Like, for example, people thought, well, if we just get rid of Trump, everything will be fine. I'm like, what do you t- of course not. It's it's almost people are crazier without Trump. They have no, <laughs> who are we going to blame? Who are we going to put a, 
Hindsight, hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I actually listened to your Charles Eisen's your Charles Eisenstein interview today. I, I thought it was really cool. I wrote down, um, maybe I'm paraphrasing here. It's something about when hope dies, the imagination must live on. Is that uh, paraphrasing? What was that? I can't really remember. I don't remember. Concept. It's one of those uh, internet sayings. It's like, you know, you read it while you're scrolling down your yeah. wall. Yeah. And I hate it because I, I want to give credit to this person. <laughs> but yeah, where hope dies, imagination must live. I always tell people, get rid of hope. Or what do you call mm. it? Hopium? Hopium. Because, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, in, the myth of, yeah, in the myth of Pandora, when she opens the jar and all these evils come to torture humanity because Zeus wants to punish humanity at the bottom of the jar is the greatest of all the evil things created. That's hope mm. because hope makes us think that there's some great future instead of looking within us right now and seeing what we can do right now. So I always just say, yeah, don't worry about hope. Switch that with enthusiasm. Faith is better than hope because faith means you're leaning on the spirits and the gods and all that. So yeah, don't uh, get away from home. In fact, uh, yeah, and was it Prometheus was the Titan of foresight, and he's a very trickster Gnostic god because he defies Olympus, steals the oh, fire, yes. all that. He does it with Athena. You know, we get the Logos Sophia characters doing this work, but um, his brother is Epimetheus, and that means silly hope. And he's the one that does all these stupid things. Like he's the one that opens the jar in some stories of Pandora. <laughs> you know, the Greeks were like saying, "Don't, don't stick to hope." I know we've been all programmed to believe it's a wonderful attitude. Believe me, your imagination's far better than hope. Oh yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And uh, you know, last last question before we wrap up. Uh, you had asked Charles Eisenstein uh, what his definition of love is, and I won't repeat it here. Um, I think people should go and listen to your uh, chat with him. You actually had a cool double header. It was, uh, I think, it was Charles Eisenstein and then Mitch Horowitz afterwards. Uh, so that was cool. Right, that right. was a nice uh, dual dual uh, double header episode there. Yeah, um, yeah. Lots of good content, but um, you know, I, it's a cool question that came up this morning because I was listening to it as I was driving around running errands today and. Um, I have a friend uh, who's studying the symposium, going back to do a deep dive, and that is a discussion on the definition, the meaning of uh, love in uh, seven or eight different ways. You know, eight or nine people are discussing their version. So I think it's a cool question. Um, would you like to offer uh, as brief or as, uh, you know, strung out as you would like, you know, what does love mean to you, Miguel? um what is love baby don't hurt me baby don't <laughs> hurt me yeah um i always tell people love is just a destruction of time because mm. when we lift the veil of time there is no then now there is no me you we are all suddenly connected in the same plane and we're united and everything is happening at once so to me that's love and that's my definition i agree with charles some things you want to leave some ambiguity with or say it in a poetic way, a metaphoric way, because there's no real, yeah. I mean, obviously with the Greeks is like, there were, you know, uh, different types of love, nomadic love and brotherly love and mm -hmm. friendly love and then heroes and all that. But that's a definition that works for me. The destruction of time, the destruction of time. Well, that's a very unique answer. And I think it's cool to bring up, um, you know, the Saturn Kronos connection there, because that's something that, 
you know, people don't really associate with love, but I think that's a really cool way to uh, put it. And I appreciate that very much. And uh, so Miguel, um, what's coming up for Aeon Byte? Uh, where, where can people get um, access to these uh, wonderful episodes? Uh, what do you have to, to offer for the uh, plus members uh, and the Academy? There's a lot going on on your uh, website. So what messages yeah, yeah. do you want to leave for our uh, wonderful listeners tonight? Yeah, just, uh, I mean, the podcast, at least the uh, half of it or the first hour, they can find on any podcatcher that's out there, whether it's uh, iHeartRadio or Spotify, whatever it is, you'll find it. Uh, but if you want more, go and sub. There's different ways to uh, substitute, to sub, subscribe, that is. And uh, there's different ways if you want to learn Austicism. I have my books, but I have... Uh, just opened this last December, the virtual Alexandria Academy, where you can subscribe or you can just buy these shows one time payment for life. And you get like 30 videos on the different Gnostic texts, ideas, uh, characters from Simon Magus to the Gnostic Jesus, the different Gnostic sects and what the, what the rituals are, what their magic was. So, uh, yeah, go to the site. There's probably something that will speak to you if you want to learn about Gnosticism. I have intro videos and articles. It's all there. I, again, sort of a Frankenstein monster that sort of <laughs> has been happening and evolving as time goes by. Well said, my friend. Uh, well, you know, as far as Frankenstein's monster goes, uh, you know, it's definitely a creation that has come to life fully. And uh, there's 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 no going back after this. It's it's totally out yeah. there. And um, I can speak. And it's a myself. very Gnostic tale. Frank, yes, the it is. Frankenstein yes, monster it is. is very yes. Gnostic. Yes. Um, well, uh, you know, I could speak for myself. I think I could speak for a few others and saying that, you know, I we definitely appreciate what you've been doing and uh, you and Vance are fantastic i'm so happy to uh look forward to your next episode i was listening to eyes and sign like i said uh today and you know tomorrow i'll dive into another and i just want to i just want you to um keep on doing what you're doing you definitely are appreciated miguel what you've been doing uh for the podcasting community is much appreciated and um just want to thank you again for being an inspiration for so many others and uh thanks for coming on local listens man i appreciate it enjoyed it thank you for having me on Thank you, man. Talk soon.